Would you have your Bibles open once more, please, to Genesis chapter 1, where we're going to focus this morning on verses 26 to 28. Johnny read for us that whole sweep of the opening story of creation. And we're going to spend some time thinking about the place of human beings within this larger story of God's creation of the world. And I want to begin by asking you this question. How do you identify yourself? When you meet someone on the street, in a new setting, when you're introducing yourself, what are those first things that you go to to introduce who it is that you are? After your name, of course, how do you describe yourself? How do you think about yourself? How do you define yourself? And we can spin that around as well, can't we? As we take a look around us, even here this morning, a very diverse group of people that the Lord has gathered together in this congregation here this morning. And as we look around, I wonder, how do you think of those around you? How would you define them? How would you describe them? What characteristics would you reach for? Would it be their jobs? Would it be their country of origin? Would it be their language? Would it be something else about their skills or their gifts that defines them? How do you, how do we define ourselves? That's the question that we need to bring to this text this morning. Because in this text, the text of Genesis teaching us about the image of God, we have the fundamental definition of who we are from God's perspective. The Bible tells us, tells us that we, that you, that I, that every single person that we will meet in our lives are images of God. They are images. They're made in His image, in His likeness. And as a friend of mine recently put it, that is not something, is it, that we would have come to on our own? Is that a conclusion that left to our own devices without Genesis chapter 1, we would have reached that we are, what, what does it mean to be human? It means to be an image of God? I don't think that's the conclusion we would have reached. Instead, well, we, all we have to do is look around and see what conclusions does our culture reach when we don't hear what God's word has to say. They reach the conclusion that humans are some kind of very complicated animal, don't they? An advanced kind of monkey or an ape, that that's what we are as humans. Or perhaps that we're just an accidental conglomeration of ancient stardust. That's the conclusion that we would reach if we were left on our own. But the Bible, God's word, here in Genesis chapter 1, tells us something startling and surprising and wonderful and delightful. It tells us that every single person, man, woman, and child, that you will ever meet is made in the image of Almighty God, the creator of the universe. Images of God, that's who we are. Is that how we think of ourselves fundamentally, however? It's a wonderful truth. It's a foundational truth in so many ways for what the rest of the Bible wants to teach us about who we are and who we should become by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not going to go all the way down the road of that story this morning. We're just going to dwell 
a little bit here in Genesis chapter 1 and see what this teaches us about what it means, this wonderful truth, that we are created in God's image. We are designed by God and we are designed for God. So let's begin with thinking about what it means to be created or designed by God. Have a look at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. God said, let us make man in our image. Who is God? Who's saying this? Who's doing the making? Well, it's God, the creator. That's why I asked Johnny to read from verse 1, where we're told that in the beginning, God created. It's God who's the one that's creating. And where does this first scene, this first chapter end? There in in chapter 2, verse 3, if you turn over one page, it ends with God blessing his creation, resting from all the work that he had done in creation. This entire opening narrative of scripture drives home to us the basic and wonderful truth that it is God who is creator. And if that's true, then what it means to be created in the image of God is that we will mirror in many ways who God is as the creator. He is the sovereign creator and we are designed by him. He's the one who has made us. Verse 27 goes on and bursts into poetry. Do you see how it's set off in a different kind of way in your text there? That's because this is the very first poem in the Bible, the first poem of creation. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The action that's been building from verse 1 Day one, day two, day three, four, five. Finally, we're at day six. And we pause because in verse 26, something special has happened. God has created human beings. The word there, you might see a note in your Bible in verse 26, let us make man. That's not just a gendered man as in masculine. It's God said, let us make Adam. Adam. Let us make the first Human, And so what God is saying here in these verses about creating humanity, humans, in his image applies equally to men and to women. And in verse 27, the action pauses. We've reached this kind of climax on day six. And the action pauses with a poetic reflection, a beautiful reflection on what's just happened. It's as if the camera zooms right in and pauses and wants us to linger over the reality of creation of man and woman in the image of God. It's poetic and it's repetitive. Do you see it in verse 27? So God created. In the image of God, he created. Male and female, he created. Do you get the message? Do you get the point? The first thing we have to understand about what it means to be in the image of God is that we are creatures. We are creatures created by the almighty God who brings all things into being. And just there, we've got to pause and reflect and apply this to ourselves. Because the first point of application is that we have to understand, I am not my own. I am, I am not my own. You are not your own. You do not own yourself. 
you did not create yourself, just as a child does not ask to be born, so you did not ask to be brought into existence. You were made. You were created. You didn't just happen. Genesis 1 tells you, you were made, you were created in the image of the Almighty Creator. Which means, of course, that you don't own yourself. You belong to God because you were designed and called into existence by God. This is true for men, for women, for children, for all the boys and girls here today. This is very important for you to understand as well. So can you listen for just a moment? You did not just happen to be born. The, the children's version of our catechism puts it wonderfully. The first, first question is, who made you? And what's the answer? God. God made you. And then the second question goes on. What else did God make? God made all things. And then, why did God make you and all things? For his own glory. So, boys and girls, I hope that you hear this morning that you are made very, very specially in the image of God. And you were made by God and for God. But that's not the story that the world tells you about who you are. In fact, the world tells us all kinds of different stories about how we should define ourselves, how we should think about who we are, how we should consider our identity as human beings. And so I want to just briefly explore with you a few of those stories from the world's perspective and what it is that Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says about those stories. So first of all, there's what I call the Zeus story. And again, boys and girls, you might know, have you read any Greek myths? Have you learned about those in school? Maybe you've read about Zeus, the king of the gods. And if you've read very much about Zeus, you know he's really, really powerful, isn't he? He hurls down lightning bolts from the top of Mount Olympus, and he sits there and he holds court. Zeus is very powerful. In fact, he's like a bigger and more powerful version of a strong king, isn't he? But is Zeus good? Is Zeus holy? Well, no, because Zeus is also just a bigger and more powerful version of a bad king. Because he does whatever he wants. He takes what he wants. And that's the kind of story sometimes the world tells us about who God is, that he's just a bigger and better version of who we are. And so there was a man in the 19th century by the name of Feuerbach who said, you know what, God, if God is anything, God's just really a projection. He's what we imagine. And we, we have needs, don't we? We, we wish there was somebody strong to take care of us. We wish there was someone who was responsible for justice. And we project all of those things and we make a bigger and better version of ourselves and we call that God. That's not what the Bible lets us do. That's not a true story. The Bible tells us God, yes, Yes, we're like him. We are images of God. But we are only images. We are creatures. And he is the almighty creator. He is of a completely different order than we are. So although we mirror him as his images, we are nowhere near 
to him in glory and majesty and holiness and power. That's the story that the Bible here in Genesis 1 wants to tell us. It reminds us that we are only images. But if, if this is what God's like here in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, what a great, great privilege it is to have been made in the image of that kind of a God. So the Zeus story that the world tells us doesn't, doesn't ring true according to what the Bible tells us. But there are other stories, aren't there? There's also what we might call the survival of the fittest story. The survival of, what do I mean by that? I mean that the world tells us that some of us are stronger than others. Some of us are cleverer than others. Some of us are faster than others. Some of us are born into families that have more advantages, more money than others. And some of us, by our own hard work and effort, pull ourselves into a position that gives us more privileges than others. Maybe we should call this instead the animal farm kind of story. Do you remember in the animal farm, if you've ever read that story, and some of you young people will have read that in school, there's, there's that saying that all animals are equal... But some animals, what is it? Some animals are more equal than others. And isn't that the kind of story that the world sometimes tells us? That some people are just better than others. They're more worthwhile than others. They are intrinsically of more value than others because of their skills, because of how they are. They have, they have bodies, they have intelligence, they have gifts, they have money that others don't. But the Bible tells us that's not the right story either. The animal farm story, the survival of the fittest story doesn't work because what does Genesis 1, 26 and 27 say? Let us make man in our image. 27, he made man in his own image. Male and female, he created. There really is a fundamental equality. Everybody really is fundamentally Created in the image of God. And that's a wonderful truth for us to hear. Because not only are we images and only images, we are all alike in this room images. And every single person that we will encounter as we go out from this worship service this morning, there on the sidewalks of London, every single person of great value and great worth, because they too are created in the image of God. We are all alike images. And that should humble us. That should keep us humble. That should keep us from being prideful and thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Because we're no better than others. Where did you get the intelligence that you have? Whatever that is. Where did you get the health and the physical body that you have? It was a gift from Almighty God. And he gave you exactly what he wanted you to have. Just as he gave the next person. And he's created you in his image. There's another story that the world likes to tell us. It's, it's a story we might call the us and them story. Or the identity politics kind of story, if you follow the news more closely. What's this story? This is the story that really, really, the world and the society in which we live is made up of little tribes, little affinity groups. And I find the group that is most like me. And I get as close as I can to that group. And then every other group that disagrees with how I want to live my life in my tribe, they're my enemy. It's us versus them. But again, the Bible doesn't let us do that. It insists that all of us, having been created in the image of God, share a common humanity. 
And that, in fact, as we read on in Genesis, by the time we get to chapter 9, after God sends the flood and he brings Noah and his family through the flood, he tells Noah again, it's, the, it's one of the next times that God talks about all people being created in his image and that that's why all people deserve value and dignity and protection, even protection under law, that the foundation of, of the things that lots of people in our culture like to talk about, justice, human rights, there is no basis for that unless we root that here in Genesis 1, 26 to 28 and say that all people are created in the image of God. That is the only basis on which we can say that all deserve to be treated equally. And again, for boys and girls here, this might work out very practically in your lives. Now, you're done with school now, I think, aren't you, for the summer holidays. But you know that at school, and you know that sometimes as you're playing with friends in the street, do people always treat one another equally and with respect? Do people treat each other kindly? They don't, do they? Sometimes, sometimes people bully one another. Sometimes people mistreat one another. And the Bible says because, because that person that's being bullied is also created in the image of God, that to mistreat them is sin. It's wrong. It is wrong to bully. It's wrong to mistreat people because to mistreat the image of God is to disrespect the God who created that image. And so the image of God teaches us to treat one another with humility, with respect, with love, to be focused on the needs of those around us. There's another kind of story, and here we're getting closer, maybe, maybe, to the sharp points that really rub us in our culture. We might call this the self-definition story, or the designer-me story, because we know that the world tells us that we get to invent ourselves, that we get to define who it is that we want to be, that our, that our identity is really quite malleable. It's quite liquid. It can change from week to week. I can decide to reinvent myself, to define myself. But what does Genesis 1 tell us? That we're created in God's image, and therefore we are defined and limited by the God who creates us. We don't get to define ourselves in any way that we want to do. There are lots of things about myself that I don't get to change. Now, there are other things I can I can change what I wear, right? I can change, perhaps, the way my hair is cut. I might get new glasses from time to time. But fundamentally, there are things about myself, God says, that I should not, that I must not change. And one of those things here that really rubs against our culture is in verse 27, that God created them male and female. And you know as well as I know that here we start to tap, to, to step onto very difficult and contested territory in our culture. Because in our culture, there is no longer the belief that being created male as gendered male with a man's body or created female as a woman, that that's no longer a limit. That's something too that we can change. We can change our gender identity. That gender, too, should be fluid. But Genesis 1 comes to us from the God who made us, from the God who designed us, and tells us that's not the right story to believe. 
Because surely the God who designed you, who gave you the body that he gave you, knows exactly why he made you the way he made you. He's the one who designed you, and he designed you for his own glory. And there are things about yourself as male and female that you ought not seek to change. Because that is to go against what it means to be made in the image of God. And to parents and others who are teaching our children, you know, and teachers in schools, you know that this is, this is a place where we need to prayerfully study God's word. We need to listen to what is being taught and the stories that are being told in the culture so that we can tell the story God tells us here about how it is that he's designed us, male and female. And that that is a very good thing. We need to be able to tell that story to our children, to explain it to them, and to show them why God's design is better than what the kind of freedom is that the world is chasing after. Finally, finally, there's what we might call the Superman story. The world tells us that we are accidents, that we've come about by random chance. There's no design. And for many, that's led to a kind of despair, uh, a kind of, well, so why is, why is life worth living? If I'm not made by a creator God, if I've just happened, then why is life worth living? And in fact, it's led some to say, Life is all about power plays. It's about me getting what I want out of life. And if that means stepping on other people along the way, pushing them out of my way, then so be it. It's the Superman story that we trace back to a man called Nietzsche. But this is completely, again, against the grain of the story that Genesis 1 is telling us. Because God has designed us to engage in relationships of love with one another as well as with him, not to, not to wield power against any others. God has not designed us to look on those who are weaker than us with disdain. It's not a shameful thing to be a weak person. And what that means then in a culture like ours is that when we see someone who is disabled, who does not have a body that's as able as ours, or who does not have the mental capacity that we might have been blessed with and gifted with, that that person, too, is created in God's image and is very special to God. Not because of anything that he or she can do or supply, not because of what they can offer to society, not because of even what they could ever say or respond with. A person who can never speak who cannot produce anything with their hands, is still a person created in the image of God and deserves our absolute respect, value, and protection because they are a creature loved and created by the Lord God himself. An older person in a care home with dementia whose capability of speech has been utterly destroyed, who does not know who he or she is any longer, is still, still a person in God's image, deserving of our love, our care, and our protection. So don't buy the world's narratives as you listen to what they would have you believe, what the world would have us believe about who we are and what it means to be a valuable human being what it means to define yourself. Don't listen to that story. Instead, instead, prayerfully, listen to the story that God tells you, that you are an image 
created specially by him. You're created by God, and you're created for God. And as we close, let's think very briefly about what it means to be created for God. What's an image for? Well, we know that Jesus says in the Gospels, doesn't he, when someone brings a coin to him, he says, whose, whose image is on this denarius? And whose image is on It's the image of Caesar. And Jesus responds, well, if that's who stamped it with his image, that's who it belongs to. That's the kind of thing we're talking about with the image of God, isn't it? That we're marked, that we're stamped with his image. And that means we're designed for him. He is the one to whom we owe all obedience, all love, all gratitude, and all worship. If we had more time to unfold the beautiful story of Genesis 1 and 2, we'd see we'd see that as we move through those days of creation, that we see a pattern laid out by God as he creates and orders spaces in days 1 to 3. And then in days 4 to 6, he fills those spaces. He creates the heavens and he fills them with the sun, the moon, and the stars. He creates then the skies and the seas and he fills them with birds and fish. He creates the dry land and he fills it with living creatures who can then enjoy and rule and fill those realms that he's created. And at the end of it all, what does he do there in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3? He steps back, and having ordered all things, filled all things as the ruler, creator, king, he rests. And what we are to envision there is a great king taking his seat on a heavenly throne and resting in the Sabbath rest of royal enthronement, having created all things and declaring them to be very good. And that's the pattern. That's the pattern for the image of the Creator to follow, to rule, to fill. You see it there in verses 26 and 28. The commission given to the image to be fruitful, to multiply, to have dominion. In verse 26, we're told, let us make man in our own image. And then really we could translate it, so that they might have dominion. Or in order that they might rule. To be an image is to be a little king placed in God's world by God as the great king. And a little king who rules in obedience to his creator, to her creator and is ultimately straining towards that same Sabbath royal rest in which the Creator King has been seated. We are designed for God to obey Him, to spread His glory across the world in our work and in our worship, and ultimately to join Him in His Sabbath rest. And that's one reason why, just one reason why, what we do in this hour every Sunday morning is so special because it's in this hour that together we draw near in worship and we do the thing that as images of God we were actually designed to do. The thing that we will do for all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth, we do that now as the veil grows very thin on the Lord's day and we are brought into the presence of the one who's seated on the Sabbath throne. We worship And as we worship, we do what we're designed to do as images of God. So we are created as images by God, created for God, commissioned to obey God, and designed to enjoy God's rest. But sin happens, doesn't it? You know how the story goes in Genesis chapter 3. 
Adam and Eve disregard God's word. They disobey that, that law that he gives them and they fall into sin. And the image is ruined. The image is ruined. It's not destroyed. And that's very important. The image is not lost in Genesis 3. The image is not destroyed. But the image, as we sang earlier, is spoiled. It's spoiled because the original righteousness, the holiness, the the, the ability, the, the desire to please God and obey him that Adam and Eve were created with in the garden is lost. And they turn away from God and worship other things. And so the images are still there. People are still in the image of God, but they are broken, shattered, spoiled, warped images. You may have heard me say one time before that Augustine, the church father, puts it this way, that images after the fall are no longer mirrors designed to turn towards the sun. Imagine an array of solar panels turned towards the sun, reflecting, not absorbing only, but reflecting the glory of the Creator. And imagine now that sin comes and those mirrors begin to curve in on themselves and turn away from that source of light, no longer reflecting the glory of their Creator but reflecting instead the idols that they turn towards and themselves as sinners wrapped up in themselves. That's what's lost. It's, it's the lost original righteousness of the image. And we know from James chapter 3, verse 9 in the New Testament that we're still to regard all people as having been in the image of God even after the fall All people still in the image of God, but they're pale images, images stripped of life and glory, images prone to idolatry, and images needing to be recreated. All people, images created by God and for God, but now all people, warped images, needing a new creation in order to be restored. And that's where the story goes from Genesis 1 to the New Testament. Because the Lord Jesus, as you might know, is the true and living and perfect image of God. And this is where we end. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we are told very clearly that Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the new creation, he is the true image of God. Elsewhere in the New Testament, that's affirmed as well. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Jesus is the true and perfect image. Where Adam was created, commissioned, but disobeyed and fell into sin, Jesus as the new Adam, uncreated Son of God, takes on human flesh and obeys his Father perfectly. Goes to the cross to pay the penalty for sinners who are ruined images, takes upon himself the judgment and the wrath that we deserve for having turned away from our Creator, and therefore becomes the true image who alone can restore images, men and women and children, who can make them new. And so we end in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Now I say this, Paul says, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They are ruined, darkened, sinful images who stand condemned by God. That is true of every single person under the sun, 
apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, if you have come to us this morning to worship together with us, and you have not turned from your sin, acknowledged your need to be remade in the image of your Creator, then you stand condemned as a ruined image. But Paul goes on in Ephesians 4. He says, but that's not, that's not the way that you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. Really, that's your old man. To put off the old Adam, the old image, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through the deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new man, the new image, that is the Lord Jesus, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So despite our sin, the good news of the gospel is this, this morning for you. Whether you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or not this morning, please hear the gospel as we finish. The Lord Jesus Christ, that only true and perfect glorious image of God, came in order to die for your sins and to offer you the possibility of being remade in his perfect image so that you can have a living relationship with God that will never end. That, that is where the image of God and the story of the image of God takes us in God's word. We are images designed by God. We are images designed for God, but we are only true images in relationship with God once we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Let's pray. Our God and our Creator, we worship you now as the Almighty One who has made all things and most specially has made us. We are so humbled, so grateful that you would create us and that you would make us for your own glory. And Lord, we're humbled even further to know that despite our sin, our rebellion against you, that you have made a way for us to be recreated in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, to have true life, to know your love, to know your care, to grow in holiness in the image of our Savior. Lord, we are sinners who cast ourselves down as unworthy before you as we finish this morning. And we cry out to you to do the work of remaking us in your own image for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.